Hey, it's BT with Tales uh, from a Gemini. And man, we're going to get right to it with a guest I'm excited to have. Let's bring him on right now. He was in waiting. He's a busy man. I love not busy people. I'm so excited. This is, uh, we're going to bring him on right now. He's in the waiting room. How great is that? The waiting room. I know, right? I'm all big time. There he is. What's up, Jet? What's up, Fro? Fro! Can you hear me? Can you see me? He looks old, doesn't he? Trying to do that. <laughs> like, uh, what are you kids trying to do? Jeff, can you see me? Jeff. Yo, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Fro? How are you, buddy? What up, BT? First of all, man, I want to give you a belated happy birthday. Thank Dece- you. December 1st, so now you are the big 5-0. Congratulations, my man. Thank you. Now, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to make you feel old, but my producers are 19 and 21, and they have no idea who Pearl Jam is. Really? They have no, and, 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 and th- th- this makes a difference, right? The, my engineer's black, my, uh, my producer's white, 19-year-old white kid, no idea who Pearl Jam is. That is the state of the world we live in. He's in, yeah. He's in some uh, racial confusion. <laughs> well, <laughs> you guys in the reflection over there, too. <laughs> it's not so much racial confusion. He doesn't know. I mean, that's why I love, I love doing the show, because it's like it keeps me young being around people like this, because they have no idea who, who Pearl Jam And it blows my mind, because we grew up in a time where there was no Google, and we just had TV. But if you want to know your history, you knew it anyway. I mean, I didn't get into people like like Nat King Cole or whatever, but I knew who they were. Lawrence Welk, I knew who they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. We, we, we grew up in basically the same area. You grew up in Kansas City. I grew up in Oklahoma, right? So we grew up around the same time. And I remember you saying something like you were the first rock star motocross, pretty much. Yeah, and well, I, I was trying to be. I was trying to be a rock star when I was supposed to be uh, trying to be a professional athlete. Um. But that's the way it went, you know. And but by no, the way, dude, you're you're the ageless one, okay? <laughs> no, no, that's you. You know what? Because another thing, I'm going to call you out right now. We're going to get right to it. I'm going to call you out on your bullshit. So I was reading an article. You said, I'm 50 now. Uh, you can't teach a, uh, an old dog a new trick. And I'm like, that's bullshit because we went out to eat with Ralph Shaheen and, and using up the company credit card. And you were eating a burger, but you had no uh, bun. And I go, what's this? And you go, well, that gluten, it, you know, causes your stomach to bloat. And that's why I'm eating like this. And ever since then, I learned from you how to eat a hamburger like that. I go, I don't want, I don't want a bun. And I learned that from you, bro. So you can learn something well, new. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I did a year of being gluten-free. Uh-huh. Um, um, but still, uh, these days, sometimes I prefer to have a, uh, you know, a burger with no bun. Not, you know, like every now and then I'm like, yeah, just let, you know, let me have it on a bed of lettuce, try to be a little bit healthier or whatever. Some people, the gluten thing is a big deal to them and, uh, it really affects them. And for me, I mean, dude, I could be gluten-free for a year and then have a case of Budweiser's and, and a, a extra large Pizza Hut pan pizza. And dude, it makes no difference to me. So, I, I, you know, um, I gave it a shot. It's, it's a lot of work when you really try to um, focus your diet in certain ways, mm-hmm. especially when you're traveling, it becomes really, really difficult. And, you know, you got those late, ne- late nights running through the airport and early mornings or whatnot. And it's like, you're just hungry. You want something to eat. And you're like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to have this burger and the bun. 
But but I, I swear to God's my witness, man, till after that night, true story, after that night, I thought of you every time I had a burger, because I you know I'm vegetarian, but I every time I thought of you, I, I still get like a like a veggie burger, but I get it with no bun. And every time I do it, I always think of you because you were the one I go, I want to look like this guy. Because when I, when I every time I see you, I go, you know what? You might not be able to do a full supercross race, but you can you can give me an LCQ. You can give me four or five laps. You still look like that. Your body selling, like you can give me a good LCQ, a good top three. Yeah, LCQ. these days. Hey, so where do you fall on the like veggie burger, like the impossible burger, the black bean burger? If okay, listen, if you're traveling, I learned the hard way. Okay, don't eat a black bean burger if you're about to board an airplane within 30 minutes. Because I did that at the Miami airport. And let me tell you something, man. They I was pretty much an ISIS team member because I was ready to blow that plane up as soon as I got off, man. I was elbowing people in the back of the head to get to the nearest bathroom. That's about so, the time you go through all kinds of turbulence and <laughs> so they won't turn the seatbelt yeah, yeah. and sign off. So whatever you do, whatever you do. I'm telling you as a friend, don't get a black bean burger if you're going to travel. But but if but as far as like for me personally, you can't go wrong. I, I'll take Impossible over Beyond Burger. I, I just love the Impossible Burger. That is great. Impossible, then Beyond. And uh, after that, it's you know, kind of hit and miss. But yeah, definitely, definitely Impossible Burger. Uh, and black bean falls around number three or four. You don't have a problem with the massive amount of sodium and salt and stuff like that, just as long as there's no beef in it. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, seriously, I, like I drink a lot of water. I, I really don't. I mean, but listen, my I, I make no sense in my diet. I I literally drink coffee at about one thirty in the morning. I have coffee at one thirty in the morning before I go to bed. I mean, that's just how my body yeah, yeah. is. So you you break all the rules. You don't make any sense most of the time. So you're just consistent with who you are. So I love it. Me, I mean, I mean, I really do. It's like I tell people, don't live my life the way I live it, because only I know how to do it. I mean, it's just the truth. I like, I mean, I bike to the gym today. I bike back home, and and you know, I, I try to I work out, do my thing, stay in shape, whatever. But as far as diet goes, there's no rhyme or reason to what I do. I, I mean, I keep it. I try to keep vegan, vegan, vegetarian on that borderline. Other than that, there is no rhyme or reason what I do. Right. You know. All right. Sounds good. I mean, but but for you, you were always maybe it was just your youth period, but you always were in shape when you rode. Was it just because you were young? I mean, I know Ricky changed the game with Jenny, fitness. Let's, let's not confuse. <laughs> then, uh, you know, in my genetic uh, makeup with being in shape, because there's a big difference between, you know, just uh, you know what your genetic build is and being in what I call bike shape and like fitness. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, you asked me to go uh, pound out a 35-minute moto on a on a motocross track in a motocross national. Um, it, you know, it's gonna whoop my ass because I'm not in bike shape. Right. But I'm not. I mean, I wear a size 32, 33 denim. It's not. Like, oh, I don't carry any extra weight or anything. So. I love that. That's what I, I. I honestly every every time we would see each other at Supercross here in Indy, I'd be like, God, I want to look like that guy. I really did. I go, I want to look like that guy. No, because you always look in great. Well, I mean, <laughs> hey, hey, true story though. Hey, BT. So this, I don't color my hair. Okay. Most of my friends that are have lost their hair, losing their hair, or it's like silver fox. Right. Like, bullshit, dude. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's crazy because it, the the gray literally goes to right there, and, and then, it, it, it 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 stops. I don't know what to tell you. You're, you're like you know? the Coach K of Supercross. 
That's what you dude, are. You're, you're like the I coach. This thing grow too much, dude. Sorry, <laughs> this thing right here. If I let it, dude, it gets like dark and thick. It's like handlebars. It's like I got two caterpillars on my face. But it's all it's all OE, man. No, all you know, original paint. <laughs> I love it though. Factory you, paint. You look good, man. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And I, and I was looking at your the whole your whole career and everything. And what I loved about it, man, is like I connect you honestly the way you grew up because I consider the way I grew up is because we're Midwest kids. KCK, uh, Oklahoma, same thing to me, same thing. And we're, you know, we're out in Oklahoma. I am li- I am literally I am literally an Okie from Muskogee. Literally, I'm from Muskogee, oh, wow. Oklahoma. So and I, and so I'm assuming you grew up the same way. But was there like a, a tad bit of hooliganism growing up? Because we to me we had nothing but land around us. I you know I, I learned to ride in a church parking lot, and then we had a school where they practiced football. We you know ripped through there and do donuts on the football field, and then zoom around. And we didn't like you know ruin people's property per se, but there was a tad bit of hooliganism. Like one of my best friends lived on the east side of town. He was eight years old, would ride his uh, 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 Suzuki 80 over to see me across town. Had to pass over, high, he had to pass over a highway, and no one thought shit about it. And he was eight years old. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, I mean, it was a different time. Like, um, we lived on a, on a dead-end street. We had just houses on one side with fields behind us, fields in front of us, lots of woods and stuff to play in. I mean, we just terrorized all the old people. On the street. I mean, my dad, what'd you do? What'd you, know, you do? Let us go, you know, my older brother and I. But on the side, uh, so there was like a freeway off ramp by mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And so you know how, like, off the freeway there'd be a ditch, and then maybe like a hillside. Yes. And then the property, like there, there'd be a fence for like whatever the adjoining property line is. We we used to have an area that we would go ride. Uh-huh off of the freeway off ramps and there was this little kind of like an extra little section um and we would and we made like a like a little hill track and we'd ride there at night because of the lights you, you know for the for the for the freeway off ramp right and at night we would go ride in that in that area like just right on the hillside and just oh. you know, tearing it up making a track on the hillside it's like you think about it now like i mean you ain't doing that shit in california i can tell you that oh no but chance. Yeah, it's awesome. like nobody cared. It seemed like, man, do you know what? That is one of the things that, you know, sometimes you look back with nostalgia thinking, oh, that was a great time. But that is one of the things that you really look back and go, we had it good. man." I mean, as far as that goes, because well, nobody motorcycling was very innocent and, and, and especially dirt bikes. Like yes. In the, in the 70s and early 80s, dirt bikes and all that were really innocent. Um, they were this, you know, sort of recreational vehicle and people were trail riding and, and you know, when you look at how the bikes were built, the horsepower, the types of tires that were on them, they really didn't tear shit up too much. And it wasn't until Honda came out with the three-wheeler and all of a sudden, instead of having, you're tearing up the grass, like yeah. on this hillside, this wide, right? All of a sudden you've got, you know, the ATC tires and then the back tires. And so the the footprint, I guess, the track of, of what it, of, of, you know, how it, uh, destroyed the land in some people's opinion is that, okay, now, you know, if, if you did that same thing with a four wheeler, now you're seeing, you, you know, four or five times the amount of the grass being torn up. And then all of a sudden you're going, Oh, wait a second. What is that? Yeah. And we, we saw that with all of the riding areas that we used to go to. Uh, there's this real famous place in Southern uh, Missouri, South of Springfield called Chadwick. 
And it was this famous like off-road area. We used to camp there every weekend, uh, trail riding as far as I could see. And it was the Mark Twain National Forest with um, tons of it was designated for you know, off-road vehicles. When the quads took over, um, and now it's the UTVs. I mean, you can imagine it was a trail, like a yeah. single track. Right. For dirt bikes. And there was the occasional Jeep trail, you know, fire road, things like that. Now, from what I understand, all of those places are so blown out because now you've got these UTVs that are four seaters, six seaters, you know, it's like, so now all of that single track is gone and it's given way to the three wheeler, the four wheeler, the UTV, and now the place is just blown out. And that's, you know, maybe that's a consequence of consequence of, of uh, the power sports industry building what they have. By the way, how the hell and 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 glad you brought that up because I did steal a, a pic off your off off your Instagram. By the way, and I thought it was the funniest shit ever that that three wheel that uh, the Honda one. Because when my dad was gonna get my first my first motorcycle, was, which was a Honda Z fifty, we went to the dealership, and the dude was riding a three wheeler. And even then, as a kid, you know, not knowing anything, I go. How, and I was going, how the fuck is that legal? Because he was leaning, but it was, and I go, the weight distribution, I'm eight years old going, the weight distribution on that is not going to work. And how was that legal, those three-wheelers? That was the most dangerous shit in the world, and nobody said shit. Yeah, they were certainly fun, and they had their purpose. I mean, we had two ATC 70s. We had one that was like the 70s model, I think yeah. maybe 79, and then we had one that was like in 1980, 81. It was like the, you know, like the evolution model. Right. But the I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about the beauty of the, of the, of like, let's say the ATC 70 and even the early Z fifties that had like the fat tires, you know, no suspension, 50 CC. The beauty and what made those things really fun really was the lack of performance. The ATC 70, the suspension was in the tires. Yeah. There was no, there were the front forks were solid. If I remember correctly, Right, so it bounce around, right, and, and like the like the Z fifty, I mean, it was slow as shit. <laughs> yeah. when, yeah. when we had the Z fifties in the first uh, Krusty Demons of Dirt uh, video, yes, somebody when they came out and said, "Hey, you guys are riding your mini bikes tonight. Can we come out and video?" And we're like, "Sure," because I owned four of those things. I owned four Z fifties, number one, two, three, four, and me and my roommates and my buddies, we would take them everywhere we went. We would ride those things everywhere, but they were stock. We didn't do any mods. There was none of this, you know, mini bike national stuff. It was just fat tires. And, you know, you're, you were hoping that when you would drew straws to see which bike you'd ride, you'd get the one that didn't have the bent levers and rear brake pedal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was the lack of performance in those things that, that made it so fun because you could really try to dominate uh, the machine, you know, and those were a blast. I mean, ATC 70s when I was a kid, my dad yes. had a big race shop, huge parking lot, right? In front of yeah. his race shop. Yeah. And when it would snow, man, it was on. My brother and I, we'd oh. ride those. That's fun. As a kid, that's. Yes. Fun. Isn't it though? I mean, that's, that's the part where I say the nostalgia, it, it kind of does meet the, uh, the, the, the real funness of it back then. You know what I mean? It was oh, yeah. innocent. And it was just, you went yeah. out. And you were cold, and it was just fun, man. It was nothing else. We didn't have cable. I mean, we had a little bit of cable, but you had really? the show. Yeah, well, we had a little bit of. The, oh, we, only we, cable TV, the only cable TV that we had, BT, was the power cable going from the TV <laughs> to the electronics. And then it was the, 
the rabbit ears. Yeah. Thing. Oh yes, yes. I remember that. Or you oh, try. Yeah. I don't know about you, but we try to get Showtime so we, me and my brother, could fix it to where we get like half Holy. between. I'm 52. I'm older than you. Oh yeah. I'm 52. Well, you can guess here. So like you were that. trying to get Showtime through the rabbit ears? <laughs> we didn't have oh, rabbit ears. We had that, but we also had like a little the box on top. So if we get it, we uh, I have to really like get the, the channels just between, and I could see Showtime just enough to see an actual titty. And that was the greatest feeling in the world. I was like 14. If you're 14, you can see an actual titty. And in summertime, my mom will go to bed early. Well, you you know, you put two and two together. That was one of the greatest summers of my life, getting so Showtime. Get, so you would, you'd have the JCPenney clothing catalog. <laughs> And then no. you'd go, you graduate. <laughs> exactly. You know how it worked, man. Those were the good old days. You went from like, oh my gosh, you got a bra to, wait a minute, I can see an actual titty. And I remember, I know, John- you, hey, Victoria's Secret ads these days are like, they're nothing. The shame that we had when we were kids. They're nothing. I mean, I look at Victoria's Secret like, yeah, oh, really? You know that store, Victoria's Secret? Oh, Victoria, she ain't got many secrets. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like, I kind of walked through Victoria's Secret like, eh. I mean, the way everything's out in the open now, it's like, eh. You know, it's like, eh. It used to be like, oh. But now it's like, eh. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the way I look at it. But can we grow up at a time? And honestly, this is what I like. And I'm going to say, I'm going to walk on a limb. I'm going to talk out of my ass here. But, and, and go back to, you know, what I said eventually, I mean, in the beginning, how it's like you were like the rock star, the first rock star of motocross. So, and I knew you were, and I'm going to talk out of my ass here. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I looked at you as being like, because you meet me and Ralph are more heavy metal guys. So I looked at you maybe like, a, I looked at you as Nikki Six. I don't know if you're a crew fan, but we grew up in the 90s. So, and I saw the picture, I go, this guy looks like a crew fan. Were you a Motley Crew fan? Oh, of course. But if, if only I could have had long hair. I mean, I was required to keep it, keep it cut short. I mean, yeah, that, that would be one of, I mean, if I ever was in a position, I could just grow my hair out and not give a shit about any of it. Yeah, that would have been amazing, right? But, no. um, but a crew for sure. Did, did you? Did, but did you use that? Like you know, nowadays you see guys with the they got the little earbuds in before the you know before uh, uh, the start, and then they'll get, you can get the helmet on or whatever. And back then we had the Walkman. So did you ever use music to pump you up before a race, or were you already always. already pumped? Always. What did what, you always. listen to? I was v- very motivated by by certain music that I would like. Okay, this is what I'm putting on at certain times. Um, like yeah. what was it? What, like, like walk me through it. Like before race, right before race, before the gate dropped. What would you listen to? Well, I, I mean, it varied. You know, it just it was like whatever I was, whatever I was into at the time. You know, I mean, it. it I mean, you name it. I've I've been. In, I mean, I like all types of music. You know, right. And um, but so this wasn't specific to when I was racing. But you remember when I had my race team in two thousand uh, in two thousand one? Yeah. Right? After the accident. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we got into this thing. I think it was, it would have been 2001 when we were Kawasaki team at sports.com. Mm-hmm. We had Michael Byrne and Casey Johnson as our riders. And before the main event, um, our, uh, we would all go into the 18 wheeler and our 18 wheeler had two different sets of doors because it, you know, it was like a NASCAR 18 wheeler that we mm-hmm. we got the trailer. So we, and the thing was totally decked out. It was like, uh, Phoenix Gold or somebody built our whole uh, stereo system. They were a team sponsor. I think it was Phoenix Gold. Um, and so the thing just rocked. I mean, the system was just insane. Yeah. So we'd close the doors uh, and we'd put on Rage Against the Machine. Oh, uh, Renegades fuck. of Funk. Yes. So of Funk, you know, we, 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 the yeah. beginning and then, and then how like heavy the baseline is. And yes. Just, 
and we would be literally like arm in arm, like a, like, like a chant, like a, you know, like, like a, uh, some sort of, um, um, shoot. I mean, what, you know, yeah, we were just, and so we, everybody would be pumped up and oh. then, okay, song's over. Okay. We opened the door and we kicked everybody out except team members. Everybody's out. Yeah. So now, I'm for sure you could hear it outside. So, so that was basically your team prayer, basically. You know, some people go in and have their team prayer. That was basically how you got pumped up. Like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. And you got right, pumped right, and got, you, and got yeah. you in your mental space. Yep. All right, you guys, it boil it down to this. And it's what my dad used to tell me all the time. All you have to do is focus on giving it your very best effort. Do not worry about the actual result, the number, yeah. the finish. Yeah. If you go out and you give it your best effort and you try your best and you try to not make any mistakes and, and, and be as smart as you can and you give it your best effort, you can leave the stadium tonight feeling good about what you did. But if you go out and you step on your dick and you and you're ride like an idiot or you give up or any of that stuff, you're going to leave here and you're going to feel like shit. So we'd get, we'd get pumped up. We'd do that. And so thankfully, I mean, as a uh, second year team, uh, our goal was to have a top 10 rider and in, in, in the premier class supercross and Michael Byrne did that for us. Do you remember what song you listened to before you uh, snapped a, a McGrath's record? Do you remember what song you listened to before you got on, went to the gate? Man, no, I don't. But I mean, I've always been, especially in that time. I mean, Led Zeppelin's my my go-to. Oh, what's your favorite Led Zeppelin song? Favorite Led Zeppelin song? If you had to pick, okay, top three, top three, top three. So probably my favorite all-time Led Zeppelin song is kind of a rarity. It's called uh, "Traveling Riverside Blues." Oh, okay, okay, yes, it's nice. Super, super raunchy, uh, um, you know, steel slide guitar and all that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very bluesy. I mean, where do you go? I mean, how do you pick a favorite? I mean. I, I honestly, like right now, if I pull up my iTunes, it's, I mean, let's see what's on. So this is what's currently playing. And so this is the O2 Arena from uh, 2007. So Cashmere. Nice. So, nice. And my, and, my, and my dear friend Jason Bonham played drums that night, right? Yes. I have listened to this album a million times. And it's like, I, I, I don't know, I just... It's like I, uh, it it just connects with me, and I just I stick to it. I mean, I yes, I've heard it a million times, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's your song. It's I mean, I could never get sick of listening to when the levee breaks. When when you hear that drum, that, I mean, it, you if you don't get pumped up from that, if you don't want to throw a a, a chair through a, a fucking window from that, well, you, and that's the thing about some of that blues stuff that they did, like with the harmonica. Uh, the drums, because when they recorded that, if I remember correctly, they were up at Headley Grange and they recorded that. Uh, some of those drum tracks for When the Levee Breaks and like Four Sticks, I, I believe the story is there was a circular yes. staircase. And so they hung the mics from yeah. the top of the staircase uh, and John was was in was in that staircase. And so the, you know, it was like one of um, Phil Spector's, you know, uh, just called his fucking echo chamber. Yes. You know, and that's what it gives it all that stuff, which is, you know, nowadays they probably go on, uh, uh, uh what's the app you, or the app, <laughs> the program it's some you, app. Use, you, you know, the program you use on your, on your Mac and you go, okay, boom, echo chamber, you know? Yeah. 
But they did the original version. I mean, the, they were the originator. To me, for, and, and to me, nothing kicks in. If I was an athlete today, that today nothing kicks in to, my, to me like in the evening. I remember hearing that. And if you're an athlete, that that the very beginning where it's like, and then it just, da, 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 da. I, I love it. And, and just so, boom, and it hits. So I never saw Led Zeppelin as a kid. Um, and the O2 Arena show was uh, – you know, my, my only opportunity, uh, obviously Jason was on drums. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sound quality and like, you know, being all that, you know, was modern, like just unbelievable. So it, it was like, you knew, you, you know, Jimmy Page still plays guitar. Amazing. You knew Robert Plant, you knew he was going to be amazing, but it, it wasn't 1970. His voice isn't what it is then, but, and he finds ways around it. And it's right. absolutely you, you know authentic and unique. You knew John Paul Jones was going to do exactly what he does. He just crushes it, you know, timeless with how he plays his instruments. And the question was, can the son fill the father's shoes? Right. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're very much the same drummer, but they're very much, you know, different in ways. Um, and so at the end of the show, it, it was like the focus was like, Holy shit, he did it. He pulled it off. And uh, we caught up with him at the VIP party afterwards. Um, and then we had the pleasure of going back to the Ritz-Carlton with him, and which was when Jason met up with his family for the first time after the show. So we were kind of a fly on the wall for when he'd seen his mom and aunt, and like, like all the family members were there. I mean, it was like, we were like, crying it was just this amazing like exchange of like they were so proud of him yeah i mean everybody in the in the in the stadium was too but i can tell you this my head hurt it kicked my ass i you know it it was so like you you know like you're talking about like how things just kind of yeah i mean i was exhausted when it was done That'd be so emotional, though. I mean, it's all the original members and then him feeling his father's shoes. I mean, that had to be. I mean, were there, were there tears? Was anybody crying? Or I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, we were set. We had like the dudes from Def Leppard in front of us, the dudes from Oasis behind us. Like, you know, we were kind of part of Jason's group. Right, and right. So, um, and meeting up with a bunch of those guys beforehand and, uh, you know, they were so amped because that was their that was their favorite band, right? I mean, yeah. they had their own success, but they were yeah, and it it was yeah. awesome. I mean, I encourage you guys if you haven't seen the show, right? Uh, it's on video, the album, all that. It's just and it's it was so uh, some of the tracks that they hadn't played before, mm-hmm. you know, in my time of dying and things like that oh, were that. so dude just just epic. Now, and in and, and, and our field, like everybody wants to be something else. It's like, OK, I'm a comedian. But, you know, honestly, I've always wanted to be I always want to be an Olympic wrestler, get a gold medal in wrestling. And I always wanted to race, you know, I wanted to race cars, want to race motorcycles. Uh, and, you know, rock stars, they want to be athletes. So you I guess it was rock and roll. So if you could be in a rock and roll band, what what would you what, what would you do? Would be a drummer, front man, lead guitarist. What would you be? What would you be? Well, I mean, the reality is, is that I've, I've, I've had a drum set. I've tried to play drums. I play guitar a little bit, you know, it, it's not, 
natural for me. I haven't just picked it up and, you know, next thing you know, I'm Stevie Ray Vaughan or somebody. <laughs> but if you had to pick, if you had to pick, like, if you know, you, any, any position in, in the band and you could be, and you could have all the talent. The talent's given to you and bam, you're in a band. It's the Jeff Emig band. Where would you be? Uh, I don't want to be the drummer. The drummer? I really? can hear him like a motherfucker. <laughs> in the car, like I'm like no you oh, can't yeah, you can't metal. beat me you can't I, I, I guarantee you, I, I'm, I'm 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 the guy from Tool I'm Maynard when it comes to drums guarantee yeah. you guarantee yeah. who's, who's your favorite drummer now who's your favorite drummer now I mean I mean Jason I love I love listening to Jason and John um um uh um oh god um it was a drum for De for um for um, uh, Led Zeppelin. It it just it totally escaped me right now. Oh, uh, the, the the current one, you mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean J John Bonham, the original John. No, I'm sorry for Def Leppard. Oh, uh, 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 Rick, Rick, uh, Rick, uh, Rick, Rick, Allen. Rick Allen. Yeah, Rick Allen. Yeah. Yeah. So last night, my daughter and I, who's actually recording her first EP right now, she's oh, congratulations, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's working on it. So we were talking about music and vibing out on it, and I was telling her about. Uh, Def Leppard hysteria and the whole um, process and when Rick loses his arm crashes his Corvette and so we were talking about how you know I was explaining to her how is how when he came back from his accident it's like losing an arm as a drummer it's like death sentence you know right but he found a way to adapt and created his whole new sound which then in turn was a part of Def Leppard's greatest album ever like when the most pressure was on there were millions of dollars in debt to the record company right I'm sure you've heard the story yeah I mean they had to sell five million albums just to get in the black on this yeah like you know you sell a million albums back then you were you were rolling in the dough they right. got to sell five just to break even uh and what's great about if you if you if you air drum to Rick Allen is you can drive with your left hand, uh, put it on cruise, so you got you know you can do your thing there because you don't have to, so you're still driving. So safety and air drumming. That's how you. Uh... <laughs> okay. No, growing up, like I said, growing up '90s metal kid, or whatever, or just music kid. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I was the same way. I listened to everything. I loved everything. But if I had to choose, yeah, metal was my music of choice. If I had to choose. Okay. And so, so if you got stuck on a, a stranded on an island, and you had one album to listen to the rest of your life, what would it be? Motherfucker, really? Oh, one album, huh? Oh, it's got to be a greatest hits because you know what? I gotta yeah. go with. I gotta go with Le the Led Zeppelin box set. I got to go with the Led Zeppelin box because <laughs> you, got, you got 10 albums in there. Well, they, well, you said one album, so that's a box set. Come <laughs> so, on, man, what, <laughs> there's 10 albums, but one album. <laughs> one album, motherfucker, I hate you. Okay, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go with, and this is the most underrated metal band ever that no one talks about. They're underrated. I'm going to go with the Scorpions, Scorpions, live at first thing. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Because nobody talked, the Scorpions could go with any group in that time period, and, and no one talked about, the Scorpions, came, they had two greatest hits albums before they even came over here. Remember Holiday? Oh, my, the man, no one talked about how great the Scorpions were. So I'm going to go with the Scorpions. How about you? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Frampton Comes Alive. Oh, that's great. That, that's great. Double, 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 double set, double record set. So yes. Yeah. Getting, a, getting some extra in there, but. <laughs> I mean, I mean, okay. I'll give you that uh, one. I'll give you that one. Finishing up uh, the nights on the boat back in the days. With, <sighs> do we feel like, do you feel like we do? Oh, 
man. We'd be in Lake Havasu and we'd always round, like that'd be the last song of the night, you know, or morning as <laughs> most of the time. That was and a good that time. was it. All of our group, everyone knew, okay, man, time to pull the boat into the dock and get some sleep. How crazy did it get during those days? Because I mean, you were like, like I said, you guys were the first, I mean, you're, you're the originators actually of, and I, and I keep borrowing and saying rock and roll stars, but you you guys were the first generation to put it there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were great uh, motocrossers before you, you know, with Bob Hanna and, and Johnny O'Mara. They were, they were great, don't get me wrong. But for the time period, I mean, with everything, with the world and the way the music was, you guys came along at a time where it fit. You know what I mean? Like the, the style of, of riding. And, and I think freestyle motocross just start coming in. And yeah. so, and with the music. And so, and you were winning. And you had ideas with winners, man. How you get treated so with that and you're winning and it's the 90s and i mean and we all know how it goes i'm sure you guys had your you know uh party with rock stars so how crazy did it get during those times with no names no names you know yeah. well there was just a, a great confluence of things that happened in the 90s and i tell people all the time to me uh the 90s in rock and roll was uh what what uh, or, or the 90s in motocross are what the 60s were to rock and roll right um and, you know, we had just enough money in our pockets to, to buy things and have nice cars and boats and stuff. Um, and a, a long enough leash. Um, the cell phone was just a cell phone. Um, the Internet wasn't, uh, you know, invented or at least popular at the time. Right. So it was really innocent. You can get away with all kinds of things no matter <laughs> where you were at. You know, people probably have photos and stuff, but it wasn't like you're you know, recording live video, you know, things like that. And so any of the debauchery and, and, you know, wrongdoing isn't, isn't being blasted out so fast that, you know, you're going to get in trouble for any of it. And, and it was acceptable all up until um, really the day the music died is, is the day that I got in trouble in Lake Havasu. Saturday night, I get busted, had a little bit of weed in my pocket, which wasn't legal in the state of Arizona at the time they had zero tolerance i get arrested um it hits the internet uh, as you know police records were public and and it was really in the early days of the internet and um kawasaki gets a hold of it and by wednesday night or thursday uh, uh they fired me and uh you know clipped my contract and and that's when the industry everybody was like oh shit you know here's a you know four-time champion you know star rider, lead rider, veteran rider of, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, um, a Kawasaki team and, and they're letting him go. And so things, things quickly changed. And at the same time, Ricky Carmichael, uh, you know, later on that year, we, we, we do our, uh, our race at the U S open. He and I go one and two. Um, and at the same time was when Ricky decided to get serious about training mm-hmm. and take the real dedication and the training to the level of what a top Olympic professional athlete would be. So it's like the rock star era, if you will, where you could do that. Yeah. Everyone's doing that. So your competition's doing that. Everyone's doing that. We're all got on a level playing field. Ricky then decided to um, balance that, that playing field. And so it no longer could you do that. Now, guys like Jason Lawrence and Josh Hansen, uh, Josh Hill, uh, some of these guys have have tried to 
glamorize what we did in the 90s and apply it to their own careers. But unfortunately, there were guys like Ricky, uh, Ryan Villapoto, Dungy, these type of guys that were um, the dedication that they were putting in would not allow you to, uh, you know, have the rock star training program. So basically, if, if you're going to compare it to music, Ricky was basically, you were basically 90s metal, MTV, and Ricky became Pearl Jam and he changed the whole landscape. <laughs> basically, was he not? Yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah, basically was, what it was. It was a seismic shift in the industry, yeah. But that's, yeah. but that's how Pearl Jam did with MTV because, you know, it was all fun and games. You know, it was poison and have a good time and party. I want action. And then Ricky came and he was a Pearl Jam and he was Jeremy Spoke. Like, oh, these guys are different. He was a Nirvana. <laughs> and so then it's like, oh. Song, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? These guys, I, I hate going back to these, but these guys, they have no idea what good music is. I, we, we were talking and they, I, the fact they don't know Pearl Jam bothers me every day I come no, in here. Oh, hey, hey, I heard the single alive yes and my roommate one of my roommates at the time was working at like a you know virgin record store block i don't even know what the record the big record stores i said dude i heard this album this song this band is called it's called pearl jam and the song was called alive he's like dude we don't have it at the store i don't know what you're talking about and i'm like man this is it's insane like the it's so different than anything that we're listening to you know and that yeah. was really right there at the at the beginning of it all so if we're comparing it then okay so when ricky started getting serious and he started winning did it make you change your game and up you're like okay this is not a fad this is working for him so i should do it no but so let's back up the arrest was august of uh 99 lost my ride got got together was going to build my or building my own team um it, it i it took me a couple of weeks uh, to actually Denny Stevenson's bachelor party. We were in Vegas and it was like, you know, Friday through Monday was just, oh it was on. <laughs> I woke up, I woke up on a Monday morning, like, dude, so, something's got to change here. Okay. How, how crazy did it get that weekend? Well, how crazy did it get that weekend? Like yeah, it, was, it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I know it's insane, but what did you do? I mean, if I, uh, you know, if you can give me a, there was a lot of ecstasy going around back in those days. So we'll just leave it at that, um, which is just so damn is so bad for you. If you're trying to be a professional athlete, this is not the substance you need to take. But we had the first round of the world championship. There was a three round supercross world championship at, yeah. at the time. Right. So the first round was in uh, at um, uh, Stade de France in Paris. Yeah. And so I have this weekend. I, I have this like, a, you know, this like this feeling like, dude, what am I doing? I don't have a ride. I'm, you know, what, what am I doing with my life? We got to leave Thursday. Wednesday rolls around. My mechanic calls me or, you know, says like Wednesday morning. Hey, are you going to ride before we take up, before we leave? And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can. I don't, I don't think I can ride yet. Like this is a Wednesday, you know, what? I'm still not recovered. Holy shit. And, uh, it was a good time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I go, so now it's like something's happening in here. It's happening in here, you know, and I go to the race, uh, Stade de France, it, it rained, you know, all the top guys were there. Yeah. It rained. Um, I actually had a pretty good ride. If I remember correctly, I got third mm -hmm. and I'm on the podium and it's in like an outdoor soccer stadium. And it's raining, um, and they built a track around the soccer pitch, um, um, 
And so I'm on the podium and it's rain's coming down and the photographers and everybody are there. And it's like, this is a really good third, right? This third, but for me to get a third that weekend was <laughs> a, a kick-ass ride. Right. True story. And I remember like, like I was going through this, man, this like epiphany or this, this transition mm-hmm. in my head and my heart, my soul. And as I'm walking back to the pits, I basically walked across the center of the soccer field. Mm-hmm. And I remember stopping and like in the middle of the pitch and rain's coming down and the lights are in the background, you know, you see the, you know, the rain's coming down. It's like real moody. And I remember literally just surrendering, um, just like, you know, asking God, like, oh, what am I doing with my life? What am I supposed to do? Like, what do I have to do? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and then it'd be, you know, that's kind of where this points him like, okay, what's all this extracurricular stuff in my life? What's really going to make me happy is following the racing. And so when I got home from that trip, I decided to do a blood, blood, um, a drug and alcohol, um, you know, rehab. Okay. Um, I was uh, clean and sober and all that for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, ended up winning the U.S. Open, building my race team, all of this sort of stuff. So I was going into the 2000 Supercross oh. Championship with the in, with the the clearest head the yeah. most fit, the best I'd ever ridden a bike ever in my life. I was going into the 2000 season uh, ready to win. And here's, and here's what, uh, it, it's amazing how you get clear. You're ready, you're focused, you're probably feeling the best you've ever felt. And then May 4th, No, 2000. no, no, back up. Okay, back up. okay, okay. I'm backing up. So December of 99, mm-hmm. I was riding Yamaha. We were yes. literally still building the bike in my garage. Okay. okay? We had a we had an eighteen wheeler on order. We're gonna do the whole race team ourselves, just like mm-hmm. Chad Reed did, you know. Um, and we would go out to the Yamaha track. Uh, you know, Yamaha would let me ride there essentially. And you got uh, McGrath was on the you know Chaparral Yamaha team, all factory bikes, works parts. David Dillman and uh, Jimmy Button were riding factory Yamaha. Okay. You know, and we'd go out there to the track. The um, a Yamaha of Troy team, the 250 team was there. It was a really incredible environment. Everybody was on their A game. And my mechanic, Tim Dixon, at the time, he says, look, if you ever want to be Supercross champion again, you've got to get over your fear and your 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 disability of going through the whoop sections. I mean, I was horrible. I was like Michael Lessie bad. You know? <laughs> oh, you got those shade like that. Oh, dude, he knows what I'm talking about. We're both good at starts. We both suck through the world, okay? Um, and so I got my shit together, and I got my attitude right. Okay. Every day in that December, we'd go out there, and McGrath and I would match times. If he did a 56, I'm doing 56. Usually Button and Billman were a click off. If he does a 55.5, guess where I'm at? I'm right there with him over and over and over. And so I was in the best place that I'd ever been in December to uh, have a run at winning the Monster Energy Supercross title. Oh my goodness, man. And then. Yeah, I know. Then, so December 30th. Yes, 99. 1999, a week before the first race. I'm at a Stepan Runcata's track, Mm -hmm. uh, private track. I'm out there riding, getting my laps in. I make a little mistake through like coming out of this turn, this rhythm section. 
and I come up short and I kind of nose into the, the face of the jump. Well, I, I got kind of bucked up. So uh-huh. I, I was kind of, I was riding really loose, really fluid. Well, I almost came off the bike. And so I was holding on to the grips by my fingertips okay. and not by like my palm. Uh-huh. So when I hit and I was short, instead of taking the force here, I took the force here. Oh, both wrists snap. Oh, hey, mm. the top of my the top of my wrist right here was flat, and this part was like over here. Both. Oh, we oh. yeah. How bad did so that? There was that. Then I recovered from that crazy recovery, like really the most excruciating pain, trying to get my wrist back. And look, look at my wrist now. Like, I mean, perfect wrist. And then the throttle sticks on May 4th of 2000, you know, have that big accident where I, I crashed and crushed a vertebrae, you know, broke my leg, thought I was paralyzed for a minute or two. Um, and then that's when I quit. So that's, that's when it ended. When, when you're laying there, I mean, you can skip through if you want to, but as you're laying there, man, and I, I, I read that where you go, you know what, I'm done. And it was it just was it was it the culmination of the injury from uh, December that and it, it's just so ironic that you get right mentally and get you know all the excess out of your life and your focus and I guess and I'm assuming you were happy in your life and then this happened it's almost it's like it's almost not even fair you know what I mean and then so when you're laying there thinking you're paralyzed I mean what's going through your mind at that moment. Well, so I'm laying there and I literally landed in a mud hole, kind of rolled. And this was an open practice day out at Glen Helen. So they had to shut the track down. Mm. It took almost an hour for the ambulance to get there. And I'm laying there on my side and I'm like, okay, I've got all this tightness in my, in my midsection. Nobody moved me. I think I broke my back. Um, and then I'm laying there and I could see my boots, but I couldn't make a move. And I went through the process and I, and I, you know, I don't say this lightly, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to uh, athletes and, and whatnot who have actually went through this, you, you know, but I went through, I don't know, 30 seconds, maybe, maybe longer of like, I can't move my, my legs. I go, shit, I got paralyzed. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to like kind of pull my knees up or like move my feet and right. I couldn't feel them. And then all of a sudden I started feeling the pain in my right leg where, you know, I had a compound fracture um, about four inches above my right ankle. And so then I start to feel that. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, I can feel that. Um, and then I kind of like pulled like my hip flexor and kind of moved my left leg and kind of pulled my legs up. And then I, I had this really heavy moment where I, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like this, like, I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The ambulance is going to get here. I'm like talking myself through it. And I just went, you know what? That's it. That's it. And I, and I remember having this, this massive, like, like exhale where it's going to be all right. And I felt what I call my racing spirit, that fire inside that, that, that spirit that's like, whatever it takes, we'll risk it all. Yeah. It left me right then. Really? Yeah, it was gone. Wow. Now, was it, was it, did you enter a depression after that? Or like you said, or is it like a, I'm fine, I'm good, and I've done it all, I, I can walk away? Well, had I not been, you know, sober and substance-free and, and really in a right place in my head and heart and soul, you know, I might not have 
taken it like I did, but I had so much to look forward to. We had the, we're building the race team and I put other riders on the team and, you know, life was good. You know what I mean? So it, 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 you know, never, you know, it it was a bad time to retire. Money at the time was going crazy. Riders, instead of making a $250,000 salary, you were making a million dollar salary. Bonuses that were 150, 200,000, 250 were now a million dollar bonus. The energy drinks were coming into the industry. Um, A lot of money was pouring in. I mean, I could have made a ton of money had I stayed racing. But when that, when that mm. racing spirit leaves you, yeah. that's when you gotta go. And it, now, is that is that a reason to why to where? And I was watching an interview. Uh, they tried to uh, pit you and McGrath against each other. Still, you know, even after all these years, kind of like you know, well, he's he's still racing. I think trucks and this and that. And could you and you? Oh, you're talking about Jack? Uh, yeah, I, I forget what it Jack was. Corpella, but, yeah, Jack Corpella did a. Uh, did a did a piece yeah he was with mav tv and stuff and he does yeah and what i thought was beautiful what i love what you did man and no respect to mcgrath no much no disrespect at all you know he said he races and this and that and he wasn't really throwing shade but it was fun but you said and you just said you're happy riding your 125 nothing special you go out you have a good time with it and i love that you weren't trying to show off you just like you like riding your 125 and that's it and i and i just love that and and it was that it was and is that because you're grounded after that racing spirit left you like you don't have anything to prove no no i don't you know i'm i'm going to the plan is to race celerettas this year again in the vet class in the plus 50 but it's more about me competing uh with my own goals and my own you know, uh, you know, level yeah. competing with myself than it is anybody else on the track. That's and beautiful. If I go out and ride anything, it's really not a competition like that. And I'm not, you know, I have so much fun when I do ride. I get yeah. so, it's so therapeutic. See, it, that- it, it, it really is. And that's, and it's not for anybody else. I'm not trying to show anybody how fast I am or slow I am or, or anything else. Um, you know, we go out to local tracks and there's pros and, I mean, the worst thing, I go out to the track and like all of the, you know, star racing Yamaha boys are there. You know, they're more than, you know, less than half my age. They're blowing past me so fast. I'm like, I'm I'm getting out of the way and I can't get out of the way because they're lapping me all the time. I can't get out of the way quick enough, you know. Um, And and it's a big ego blow when you're like, in my day, I would have dominated those guys. But that's not, that's not what it's about. And so I'm, my ego is well in check. That's uh, beautiful, I, though. Some, I mean, because you have nothing to prove. Writers aren't that way. Yeah, uh, but I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's like anybody, any of the guys that I used to race against that they yeah. want. Like that time's over. You, you, the opportunity is gone. It's not about that right now. I love, well, you know, because age gives you perspective, or at least it should. And if that's where you are mentally, I think that is beautiful. I love that. I still, as Rocky would say in Balboa, you got the bit in the tank. And that's what, and that's why I still want a dirt bike. And for me, mentally, honestly, and I know I'm not going to do it, but you can't tell, but my subconscious tells me I want to do the Dakar. So I, I, the way I train, I, yeah, I know I want to do the Dakar. That's my thing. So I want to get a trail bike and I want to just rip it somewhere because Mentally, the Dakar is always on my mind everywhere. Have you ever wanted to like, even during your heyday, was there like a part of you that wanted to do something else? I mean, I know Ricky went to trucks. You know, Jeremy does trucks now and whatever. He flirted with, I think, and, and Ricky flirted with NASCAR. Was there, was, was, did you ever really want to like flirt with something else during the time or were you just strictly motocross and supercross? 
Well, those, those opportunities after I retired were there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a lot of work to go do that. There, there's been a number of riders that have tried to take their, their work ethic, their um, level of excellence and apply it uh, to, to different forms of, you know, of racing. I mean, mm -hmm. hell, Jeff Ward almost won the Indy 500 that one year, you know? Yes. Um, um, but, you know, what we've seen is that you can't, you can't miss out on that first 30 years of experience. You know, it's like the 10,000 hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell laid out in outlier in the book outliers, you know, you come in with a lot of enthusiasm, you, 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 you're a champion, you know how to do this stuff. Uh, but like Carmichael, let's say when he went and was racing uh, trucks and uh, you know, nationwide series and stuff, you look at the amount of hours that he has behind a wheel uh, compared to the person next to him some kid that's been driving go-karts since he was four years old man it's hard to make that up yeah but it, it is but the fact that you're happy i love that man that you're happy with who you are and where you're at and honestly i know i run out of time and i didn't get to i and i wanted to get to that the story my favorite story and it sounds like nothing but it meant everything to me when I heard it. I just loved when you were talking about how you were in, uh, I think it was in Ohio and it was hot and you just got the fa the famous, now famous, uh, black, uh, black jersey and mm. it was hot and you pulled the mental card on everybody when, uh, like you said, the, it was, it was uh, uh, the jersey that was thick material that no other motocrosser would have worn and you yeah. got dressed in the, in, the, in the truck, had all your stuff and you came out in black in the summer on a motocross race and you walked to the gate. Most, most riders would ride with their mechanic to the gate. You walked, no umbrella. And when you turned, you said you looked and you saw McGrath underneath the tree, the shade, with, a, with like an ice towel, whatever. You said, it's over. And you won. That's one of my yeah, favorite I mean, stories all ever. The, all the guys that day uh, were, were based. I mean, it was so hot and humid, you know, how it can get. And we're in these trees. Uh, the, the, the track at Troy, Ohio, at uh, Kenworthy's is the name of the track. Um, they actually built the track, uh, right by a river. So it was over the levee, um, you know, on the, on the, on the riverside and all these trees. So there were, there was no wind. Right? Oh. It was just still like where you could, you know, the air you can, it was like liquid. <laughs> um, but I used to just, I got into this mode during that time period where, uh, I, I would have everything, all my gear on when I left the Kawasaki truck, yes. except for my goggles. Okay. And J-Bone would take the bike to the starting line and I would walk, right? So I, it's, it's, you know, it's already hot. Right. You step right. out of the truck and you're feeling it. And what was great is that, especially at Kenworthy's, is all the fans would be lined up along this fence. And so you just, you know, you're like high-fiving people when you can. And, and you know, you're kind of feeding off of that energy from the fans. You're getting a sweat going. I mean, by the time I got, I got up there to the starting line, which at the time there was no cover on the starting line, and where, when you were in staging, the entrance to the gate was just right in the middle. And J-Bone's basically the only bike up there. And everybody else is kind of like over in the shade. We yeah. had first gate pick. And I look over, and I'm hot as shit. Don't get me wrong. And I'm wearing the black shift jersey. Yes. Um, and it was thick, man. It was like a sweater compared to <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they're like, you know, everyone's like like fighting the heat. And I was accepting it. Yes. And I, and I, I said, those guys are done. And J-Bone's like, hey, do you want me to put the umbrella up? I said, nope. He goes, you want me to fan you off with the pit board? I said, nope. I mean, I'm sweating. Don't get me wrong. But 
that's one of those mental games that, that, you know, on that day and that type of environment, I really excelled. Like I loved it when it was hot and, you know, for whatever reason, I just performed well in those, uh, in those times, but man, it was, it was brutal, dude. To me, that is, that's, that's my favorite story of yours that no one knows. That's my favorite because that's mental. And, and to be at that level, the pros and correct me if I'm wrong, like I always tell everybody, I'm a wannabe who never got to be there. So that's why it's always awesome to interview like the guys like you, because I'm, I am a wannabe and I always tell everybody that. So to, to see that at that level, it's always the little things and to play that mental game and to win it. I mean, to see somebody like McGrath and look over and you know, you've got him already. I mean, and like I said, you're hot, but it's funny that you say that because, um, because, um, I, I remember talking to Ricky Johnson, uh, one day who was just the ultimate strategist, right. Uh-huh. Uh, when it came to racing and all that sort of stuff and, and the mentality that you had to have. And he, he's like, you know, he says, what you want to do is you want to get to a place in your career to where you're on the starting line and you kind of like looking over here, looking over there. And you're like, Ain't nobody going to beat me. <laughs> Doesn't matter if I start first or last, I'm winning. This. So That's thankfully beautiful. I had a couple of those uh, throughout my career. When did you, now what, and this sounds like a simple question, but like I said, I'm this an is, outsider. This is that gear, by the way. This is the, the let me see if I can get the glow. Oh, I love it. Look at that. So yes. the black jersey. Yes. The snow camo pants. We actually make, uh, we at Shift, we have uh, new versions of that pant. And we have different, you know, like executions of the jersey. Yeah. We've, been, we've had it in the line. We call it the GI Fro line. We've had it for three or four years now. So it seems to still be pretty popular. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that as soon as we leave here. I mean, I'm going to go on, on some site and I'm going to get I'm going to get that. a discount code. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that, man. Now, man, now on the outside looking in, I know it was, it was a job, but when was it ever fun? I mean, because sometimes and because I say that because I was listening to an interview with uh, Scott Redding, who races World Superbike, and he's, he's saying how, you know, your racer, he goes, the only time I had fun was one time I had to do, I think, a, a clinic or he did a track day or whatever. He goes, you know what? I actually had fun on the bike. And he said when he races, he never had fun. So was it ever fun? I mean, fun, fun. Were you like, ah, oh, this I is great. So. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I. I've always enjoyed riding the motorcycle. Now there are times when you're in struggle city, man, and you can't get, you can't get out of the city limits. Right. Of course. Um, You know, and you're just doing everything that you can to try to survive that day and, and, you know, not, you know, hurt yourself or whatever. And that, I mean, that part sucks, but you know, I mean, there were some, some races that seemed really easy, you know, um, Overall, I won, I think it's uh, 37 30, AMA uh, races. 37, baby. You're fourth, fourth all time? No, 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 no chance. Maybe in, maybe in motocross. No, yeah. no, I don't think, I don't, I don't think, I, I think Villapoto and Dungey and some of these guys have surely passed me up these days. Yeah. I think it, it maybe around top 10 in motocross and supercross, I'd be pretty far down the list because I won seven, yeah. uh, you know, essentially a premier class main events and, six or so 125 so yeah now when you look at the rider the current crop now what rider reminds you of yourself of the current crop that you go that guy kind of reminds me of me and you kind of want to put it like a dad kind of hand on his shoulder like hey listen son you know i mean is it is there anybody that reminds you of you right now i man not off the top of my head i really can't i really can't think of it really not one not one 
What rider scares you? If you had to ride today, what rider scares you? Like, oh, shit, this guy. Like, I hope he crashes because I've got nothing for him. Like, what, what rider on the grid now that lines up? What rider in current Supercross? Well, I think Eli Tomac certainly shows that he has this next level speed that very few athletes have, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Damon Bradshaw, James Stewart, um, you know, Villapoto every now and then could pull it out, um, you, you know, uh, where their, their, their speed was just, was just incredible. I was just, I just posted a thing on, um, thing on Instagram today of the St. Louis Supercross a few years back where Dungy gets the whole shot. He's leading points and Tomac starts well outside of the top 15. Hell, he passes Dungy with six minutes left to go in the main event or whatever it was, you know? Um, that night he was just on a different level. That's on my Instagram right now today. If you guys want to see it and, it, and it's like the highlight version of it. Yeah. But you're like, holy shit. He was passing guys two at a time. He was, I mean, he was doing whatever he wanted. And that it's as a color analyst on the Supercross broadcast, my job is, you know, Ralph does the who, what, where, and when. Yeah. And I do the why and how. And there's times where you're like, I'm trying to craft the words to help people at home that are watching right uh, help them understand how this man is riding this motorcycle this way yes and sometimes you just can't you just have to look at the visual and be like i you know when you've got the other 19 or what what do we it'd be at 22 riders so other 21 best riders in the world on the track and this guy starts almost 20th and wins the race no problem because he's on the next level is sometimes you just got to let it be and just enjoy the visual and be like, wow, I, I, how's that happen? Well, what took him so long? That much better that night, you yeah. know, and the thing with Tomac, the next race was, I believe that was the year where the next race we go to um, MetLife Stadium and he crashes a couple of times and loses the points lead again. You know, you're like, that's, that's the interesting thing about that. I think when you put, if, if I tried to co- put a group together of, mm-hmm. Bradshaw, Stewart, uh, Tomac, let's say, three different generations, 90s, 2000s, and then 20 teens, is they literally have the ability to to blow everybody away one weekend, and then the next weekend, they just couldn't quite get it together. That I always want to know why, especially with Tomac, because he's you know in the in the current right now. Why why is and finally this year he finally did it. He you know he overcame the, uh, the, whatever was hampered. But what was it? I mean, what was it that he was like that? I don't know. And that's what's and that's what's you know different when you take a guy like you know let's use McGrath and Carmichael, their excellence and their consistency with that was just like nothing the sport had ever seen, you know? And I don't know, I guess that's what makes us individuals. You know, it's what makes us different. And, you know, uh, you know, we admire it. We, you know, for different reasons. Yeah. Um, that's what makes them them, I guess. That, I, I think it's beautiful. Well, I, I mean, also makes the sport exciting also because knowing that he's like that makes you go, well, let's see, can he do it again in uh, this race? And if he can't, who's going to come up and, and challenge him? And that's what I mean. That's why I love the sport. I think right now, I think right now and we and we say it every year. I think the offseason in motorsports is 
it's almost better than the season because you got that, oh, I think this guy is getting there. I think he's there. And so you can't wait. And I, it's, uh, I love that I'm talking to you on, on the eve of Supercross starting because I go through a little depression when all motorsports are off. It's like a big depression for me. So it's like I, I can't, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit, so I can't wait. So, and, and I'm going to ask you this. Now, uh, the villain, so to speak, is Dylan Ferrandis. Uh, he's the, the so-called bad guy of the sport now. Or, you know, they say he's dirty, whatever. Now, what, what's your uh, take on him? And do you think it kind of helps that you have a villain? And, and honestly, does it help that he's uh, from France or from another country? So it kind of helps in the kind of vitriol that's spit toward him. You can, like, everybody can point the finger. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's easy to vilify, uh, you, know, a, you know, a foreigner, if you will, and just yeah. like, okay. But it's his, you know, people don't really connect with him. Uh, because of his, you know, his accent, his language and stuff. I mean, the dude's a badass. And I got, man, it, it is not show friends, it's show business. Yes. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So too bad. For sure, the incident that happened last year at Anaheim with him and Christian Craig, Craig probably should have backed out of it. Dylan was late. He was, he should have been on his rear tire going in, going over the finish line jump. He was like two bike links behind. He was late. He was too late to make that aggressive of a move. But we also, we admire that. We admire somebody that's, that's, you know, uh, that's going for it like that. And, and, and I think other riders that don't have that ultimate killer instinct, I think they're a bit jealous. And so they just, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't like it, but the bottom line is, you know, he had, uh, you know, a career year as a 250 rider. Um, that ride that he had, I believe it was the second moto at, at the Ironman motocross national where uh-huh. he was down in the first turn easily 10 seconds or more behind the last place guy. When he even got up, um, it, you know, I believe he came back to second in that race, but just the ride that he put on was just, you know, well, in a way, and, and, and two, to me, for some reason, 250s have a little more aggression because before him, before Fernandez in 250s, Jason Anderson was the same way. He used to, what he used to do, I think it was what Cole Seeley, he used to screw around. Every, every time the last, the last turn, Anderson would come and he would take him out and get the That's victory. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and before that, before, and before uh, Jason Anderson, it was, it was uh, Barsha. Barsha in two. It was, all of, it was all of us, you know. It was, yeah. it was all of us when you're in that. I mean, look at the maturity level of the 250 riders. I mean, granted, uh, a guy like Ferrandis, yeah. age wise, is it, it, you know is is up there a little bit more. But I mean, that's where we're at. And if you know, even on the the premier class level, we all are trying to to grab the same thing. And I don't, I don't, I don't have any problems with. Them. I mean, you know, there there's dirty riding. There's just straight up you know, dirty riding that's uncalled for, but when it's rough riding and like Ricky and I, we, you know, Carmichael and I, we both agree um, when it's for the title and it's rough riding, if you leave the door open, <laughs> that's on you. Yeah. Don't that's- leave the fucking door open and you won't get slammed. Yeah. You know? So, so, and if it, there's so much on the line and when it's all said and done, you know, you remember the champion. And so let it be a lesson. You know, I, I mean, and it's and it's that way in life too. Like there's is there's parallels to life. I mean, sometimes you gotta go, you know, take what you want. You gotta go you gotta get after it and give it everything, 
give it everything that you have. That is beautiful. I I I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree. And now we're almost got, we're almost out of time, so we got to do one word answers. I'm gonna give you one word. Bam, just bam, one word. Answer. Okay, uh, great. The best Supercross rider now, not named Tomac or uh, Webb. Best Supercross rider now, not named Tomac or Webb. Best Supercross rider now, not named Tomac or Webb. Um, well, that's a good, that's a, good, that's a pretty damn good question. Um, I, I mean, I think I'd go with somebody like, um, um, you know, Marvin Muscan. I think he's really, you know, naturally talented. So. Okay. Most underrated rider, underrated rider this year. Underrated rider this year. Uh, underrated. Um, well, I, I might go with somebody like Justin Cooper. Okay. Two two fifty guy. Best rider you've ever raced against. Best rider you've ever raced against, and you race against them best, but you got to pick one. Gun to your head. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would have to go with Ricky. You know, yeah. Well, hold on. Let me. I'm a man because I race against uh, Stefan Everts too. So, um, that's a tough one when you get into the best. Yeah, I know. I know. So okay. So yeah, who? And I had to race against McGrath, Carmichael, and Everts at different times, and those they they three hold the the most prestigious records uh, in in the you know in the world. So. so the answer is all three of them. You. <laughs> You, you took the box set earlier. You, <laughs> well, you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me pick the box set. That's why I went Scorpions live at first thing. So you got to pick one. Gun to yeah, your I head. Would, I, would, I, I would have to say that Ricky Carmichael is, is the greatest that I've ever raced against. Okay. great Greatest Supercross race you've ever seen. The greatest what? Supercross race that you've ever seen. Not race against. It doesn't have to be race against because, you know, it could be timeless. So best Supercross racer you've ever seen. That you go. Uh, what was wow. it? Atlanta, twenty eleven. Stuart Reed, Villapoto, Dungey. Oh. Um, I, I mean, I've I've I posted a few of them lately. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so it's kind of. I'm getting goosebumps thinking. I got goosebumps right now. I got goosebumps. I mean, it's just I was really fortunate to be a part of a lot of really great broadcast. Yeah. I mean, Michael's last race against Stuart. I just saw that on Instagram yesterday, but that final. In, in Atlanta, I believe it was 2011, um, where Reed and Stewart get together and just the, I mean, four of the top six greatest champions. Yes. Four all went top four. That was, that was a big one. Okay. Okay. Uh, best 90s metal band. Best 90s metal band. 90s. Best 90s metal band. So you got a 90s metal. I mean, you know, Metallica was in their heyday. I don't know. I don't think you can go. I mean, when they did the long version of of uh, one, one. I mean, the theatrical, emotional. That, yeah, that's it, man. That's like top three videos of all time, right there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that, man. I love that. Great. I had to get you with that. Okay. The best drummer of all time. Best drummer all time. John. Bob. Ah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. Uh, close, close. It's his own style. I mean, there's so many great drummers. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. my guys, my guy was Bonham. And, and that's what makes having a friendship with Jason and seeing him have the extended, uh, the extension and continuation of his father's work 
and the Jason Bonham, Led Zeppelin uh, evenings and all those things. That's it's yeah, it's awesome. What does uh, what's the uh, what, what do you listen to now? What kind of music do you listen to now? Man, I don't listen to a lot right now. I really? Mean, I used Why to listen that? to a lot of country. I've kind of clipped that. Um, I listen to a lot of educational stuff and podcasts and all that. And then maybe that's why I, I end up just always going back to going back to Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah. I love listening to like, you know, like, uh, you know, Sammy Hagar stuff at times. And- oh, favorite Sammy Hagar song. Favorite Sammy Hagar song, if you can. Favorite, best Sammy Hagar song to you. Give to Live. Really? Give to Live. Man, are you serious? Well, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I mean, for me, for me, for some reason, I just, I just love the kick-assness of heavy metal, and maybe it's because I've seen the movie, but it's just whenever it kicks in, I, it it takes me back to my youth, and it just gets me pumped up no matter what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, man. Those like that drum beats right there. Yes. Man, good times, brother. Good well, I times. I used to have, I used to put like on the underside of my visor, I would always put a little message. So each helmet, almost almost each helmet had like its own little sort of phrase to it. And one of my helmets, I remember back when I was riding Yamaha, it said give to live was under there. So. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, man, you were my you were my roommate's favorite motocrosser of all time. When I first moved in with her, she had a poster, a signed poster of you, and you're her favorite motocrosser. Her? Oh. What was it like? Three's company at your place? What was the deal? <laughs> well, kinda. Actually, it is kinda. Yeah, it's my roommate. At the time, she was married, and so uh, so yeah. When I moved in, I remember she had a poster of you, and and you're her favorite motocrosser of all time. So yeah, man. And my love, if you're still in touch with her. <laughs> well, I will do that tonight, man. I will do that tonight, buddy. It has been great talking to you. For I mean it from the bottom of my heart, man. I've always wanted to, you know, MotoGP is my thing, whatever. But I just love racing, period. And I've always, and I grew up on the dirt and trail riding. So to get a motocrosser on, especially you, because I know you, man. This means so much to me. So and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, dude. I was so I was like a little kid at Christmas, man. I was like all excited in my bed last night, trying to go over questions, and I just thank you so much for this man i really appreciate it brother yeah I, I'm, dude you got me fired up now too i'm ready we were supposed to produce a podcast this week ricky and i and i don't know if i'm gonna get it i don't know if he's gonna have time for it but i'm fired up i'm ready for supercross to start now also you know well, we're coming up this weekend well I'm, I'm fired i'm sure ricky's fired and if, and if you guys don't do it tell ricky to give me a call i'll put him on here and then we'll talk some motocross i mean that man i i love you guys and and luckily you were spared i call it the the, the chad reed because whenever i see chad reed at moto gp I, I I'm always all over him because I, I'm just a dork like that. And I always want to apologize to him because I'm, I, I can't. And in my defense, I can't stop it. And it's, it's genuine, but I'm always <laughs> Chad. And I see in his eyes, he's always, he's always been nice, but I see in his eyes like, Oh God, not him again. And so, and so Security. I, exactly. So I feel so bad. So man, again, bro, thank you so much for the time, man. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you, buddy. And, uh, uh, an ambassador for Husqvarna motorcycles, uh, uh right. Still an ambassador for Husqvarna motorcycle. Maybe you can get me a, a discount code for one of the trail bikes there. Maybe we'll talk about it off the air. So hey, hey, hey hold on before we go, who, who wins the opening round? Opening round will be won by, I'm going to say Justin Barsha. He starts off strong every year. So Justin Barsha on the gas gas. Ooh. 
Justin Martin on the gas gas, and it's going to be a great opening round because, you know, they're, they're, they're chomping at the bit. Everybody's ready. They should be healthy. I don't think anybody's injured. They're chomping at the bit. They can't wait. Malcolm's on the Yamaha. Cooper Webb's kind of talking shit, but not really talking shit. And, you know, Tomac's, you know, the big man on campus. So, man, they're all ready. Everybody's ready. Everybody's pumped. I'm going to say Justin Barsha pulls off the upset, and it's going to be one of the greatest years in Supercross history. Oof. Bold statement. I'm a bold man. I'm going to go see in Cirillo. So. Oh, I like, look at that. I like that. Yes. I love seeing Cirillo. Yes. 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 I'll, good, good choice, but I'm, I'm going to go with Bam Bam. I'm going to go with Bam Bam. Hey, All right. Thanks for having me on, man. Man, thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you guys for watching one of the greats in Supercross and in Motocross. Thank you for watching again. And like we say about this time, pay.